Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is God's morning. It is God's day. We are God's people, and we are here to worship and to praise the God who made all things and who redeems all things. Let us be called together in worship then as we read responsively from the 139th Psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Friends, let us worship the Almighty God. Amen. Please be seated. We sing to Almighty God praises, for He alone is worthy of our worship, worthy of our life, worthy of our love and obedience. Far too often we have sinned against God and one another. We need God's mercies and grace. And so in one heart, one voice, let us confess together. Eternal God, whose covenant with us is never broken, we confess that we have failed to fulfill your will for us. We betray our neighbors and desert our friends and run in fear when we should be loyal. 
Though you have bound yourself to us, we will not bind ourselves to you. God, have mercy on us, weak and willful people. Lead us once more to your table, and once more unite us to Christ, who is bread of life and the vine from which we grow in grace, to whom be praise forever. Amen. Friends, sisters, and brothers in Christ and people of God, receive, believe, and hear, trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ. God, in his infinite wisdom and love, foreordained, determined that we would be adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. He loves you and I so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ for the life of the world. Thanks be to God. Receive that good news and know that you and I are so loved by God. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. God has given us peace with him and with one another. Therefore, let us share signs of God's love and peace with each other. Let's do so with excitement, with love, with fervency and passion. Let's do it right now. Thanks be to God. is about as much excitement and passion as Presbyterians can generate. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're a work in progress. What can we say? Friends, let me share with you a, bit, a little bit of news about what's going on in the life of the church uh, and in the vein of excitement and passion. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, this choir joined with others and also joined by members of the Rancho Santa Fe Big Band will be presenting the Duke Ellington Sacred Jazz Concert. Prior to that, at about 3.15, Juan Carlos is going to give us a little talk about the meaning of the words and the life of Duke Ellington and all that goes into that. We are asking you, and I pray to God it is just this one last time, because of our earlier commitments with the musicians, we're asking and requiring that you be vaccinated and prove that to us as well as wear your mask. So take this as one last thing and we'll offer that up to God and say, God, never again, we pray. So don't miss out the wonderful, wonderful music that is going to be happening this afternoon. You're going to get a little taste of it in just a few minutes. Our extravaganza, the family celebration of Easter, is this Saturday the 9th. It is a sold-out event, but we encourage you, if you would like to come, to give us a call or shoot us an email and get on the waiting list for that, and perhaps you'll be able to come. This Saturday as well, we have a group going to Mexico to build a home. If you'd like to be part of that mission experience, we encourage you to do that. On Thursday evening, the 14th, just 11 days from now, we'll be celebrating Monday Thursday with worship here in the sanctuary. On Easter, two weeks from today, the Lord willing, at 7 o'clock, we'll be outside for a sunrise service, then at 9 and 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. We have a new addition to our biblical garden project as you leave the sanctuary today. Turn left and look at the planter that is between the fellowship center and the sanctuary building and you'll see a beautiful representation 
of some of the plants that are in the Bible uh, and that also grow here very well uh, in our Southern California climate. Finally, please note that the last Sunday of this month, the 24th, we'll have one unified worship service at 10 o'clock in the morning as our celebration and way of saying goodbye and farewell to Neil and the rest of the Pressa family. So that's some of what's going on. <laughs> Be sure to read carefully about everything else that's happening so that you do not miss out. One other thing that we do not want to miss out on is the fact that God invites us to be part of what he is doing in the world. And one of the ways we participate is through our financial offerings. So as you're hearing this next beautiful piece of music, feel free to come to the baskets on either side of me and give your offering or in some other way present your offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing thing to him and it furthers the work of his kingdom. God bless.
Amen. 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 Those of you who heard that online, I'm sure you wish you were here with us. We praise God. Friends, after that, we are, we are empowered, encouraged to lift up prayers, the prayers and praises to the Lord, um, prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of intercession for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for the world around us. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. O most gracious and loving Father, Indeed, your call has been issued from heaven that indeed all that has breath might all praise you. We join your creation and the heavenly choirs in praising you for who you are and who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Our creator, our Lord, our savior, who is worthy of our worship and our praise, we offer thanksgiving to you, for in you we live and move and have our being. You are the very essence of life. You are our peace. You are our joy. You are our anchor. You are our refuge and our strength. We come before you, gracious God, as your children, named by you one by one, worthy of your redemption, of your salvation in Christ. Because of that salvation, O oh Lord, you enable us to, to pray to you, to pour out our hearts to you. Gracious and loving God, know us. You know us inside and out, even before we utter prayers in our lips. And so, O oh God, for the concerns that are on our hearts for each one of us gathered here and those who are gathered online, O oh God, we lift up prayers for each of our households, for needs and concerns that we carry, for that which causes us anxiety, stress, and fear. Your love covers it all. For so many, O oh God, who are experiencing great loss or who have experienced loss, gracious God, we pray that your comforting love would abide and abound. Today, gracious God, we pray for the Sayer family as you have welcomed our uh, beloved Bill into your eternal rest. We pray, gracious God, that you would abide with Shirley and the entire family. As we pray, gracious God, that your comforting love would be magnified for so many. Lord, we think of the millions of Ukrainians who have been displaced from their homes. We pray, O oh Lord, for your sheltering love and care for food and clean water, for your resilient hope. We pray, gracious God, that you would turn away the missiles and guns and violence, war, hatred in all its forms. Lord, forgive the human family whenever, O oh God, we sin against you and one another. O oh Lord, we, we O oh Lord, break that shalom vision, that vision that you have for all creation, that all would be reconciled to you. Forgive us, gracious God, and use our hearts, our hands, our our feet, our lives, to be agents of your peace. Gracious God, we pray for healing and wholeness for, for so many who are ailing in mind, body, and spirit. We pray for restoration of health. We pray, gracious God, who put their lives at risk to care for others. We pray, gracious God, for your churches witness in every place, for mission partners, O Lord, who strive to bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, even here, the village church, might we be faithful to your call 
to proclaim in word and in deed that good news that you have given to us. We pray, gracious God, for our brother, for Pastor Jack, as he shares your word to us, that your spirit, O Lord, would bring that word to each of our hearts and then that we would live it out. And then when we come to the table, O Lord, to receive the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, strengthen us by it. For all these prayers, O Lord, that we name in the silence of our hearts, receive it as we offer it, O Lord, with, with trust in you. We are confident and bold enough as your children to pray those sacred words that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Stand with me now, so that together we may give our full attention to the reading and the hearing of God's word as we find it recorded in the gospel according to Matthew. When it was evening, Jesus took his place with the twelve, and while they were eating, 
He said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after another, surely not I, Lord. He answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, you have said so. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourselves. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests taking the pieces of silver said it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Dale Carnegie, the author of a book that I still consult every once in a while, a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Dale Carnegie said one thing that has always stuck with me, and that is that the sweetest sound in any language is a person's name. And I agree, don't you think that Jack is the most beautiful sound you've ever heard? <laughs> Yesterday, after the email went out, I got an email a couple of hours later from a member of this congregation and told me a story that I have to share with you. He said that years ago, when he was teaching elementary school music, one of the kindergarten classes that he had, had a student named Jesus. It also had another student named Judas. And in the first couple of weeks of that class's meeting, Judas continually picked on Jesus. And so the teacher called the parents in to have a conference with them, Judas's parents, and, and the parents had no clue where the name Judas actually came from, but when they learned about it, immediately they changed the child's name, and immediately the child stopped picking on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The other piece of the story is that the teacher's name in that classroom was Noah. 
So choir, let that be a lesson to you that there are good things that can come out of the tenor section, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about Judas. That's a name that we do not often use, and usually when we do, we are speaking in a pejorative, negative, judgmental sense. We know why. However, if you look into the history of the name Judas, you will see that it was a fairly common name in Jesus' time. It meant the praised one. The praised one. Not what we usually mean when we say Judas now. Perhaps it is related to the name Judah, who was one of the sons of Jacob, and the name by which southern Israel was known in the time of Jesus and even before. We know the name Judas Iscariot, and we need to think about that name as well, Iscariot. The name itself could be an Aramaic adaptation of a Latin word, Sicarius, Iscariot Sicarius. We see how those two things could be put together. The Latin word means a dagger man, someone who resorts to violence to get his way. So it's possible that Judas the dagger man was a political zealot. He, along with others in that time in Israel, were intent on overthrowing the authoritarian, dictatorial, occupying Romans. We can understand why. There's another possible meaning to the name Iscariot that I think tells us something. And that is that it could be a combination of two words, the word ish, which means simply a man, and Kariot, or Kerioth, which was a town in southern Judea. When Judas was identified as Judas Iscariot, it might simply mean Judas, the man from the town in southern Judea. If that were the case, then what that would mean is that Judas was the only one of the 12 disciples who was not from the region of Galilee in the north. In that way, maybe he was something of a loner, or certainly the odd man out in that group of disciples. We know what it's like, do we not, to be the odd person out with a group of people who have something in common and, and we don't have anything in common with them? For instance, let's say you're with a group of Carolina Tar Heel fans, and you're a Duke fan. That just might not work so well. That's all I'm saying. We are learning a lot. We're learning a lot by looking carefully at some of the characters who filled the story of the passion, those last days and hours of Jesus' life. For a moment, as I was putting this series of sermons together, I considered skipping over Judas. But then it hit me that of all the people we needed to talk about, in addition to Jesus, of course, we needed to talk about Judas. Who was Judas? 
What was going on in Judas' mind? What was going on in his life? Just what was he trying to do? Maybe he was a political zealot. Maybe he was the odd man out and completely out of step with everything that the other disciples and certainly Jesus was all about. We really don't know. The three Gospels that have a lot of similar material, we call them the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say very little about Judas's motivations or what was going on inside of his psyche, any of that. In John, the Gospel that was written quite some time after Jesus was gone, John calls Judas a thief, a betrayer, one who was possessed by the devil, a son of perdition. John doesn't have much use for Judas. And of course, the early church didn't have much use for Judas. But is that pejorative judgment the only thing we can say about this man? This man whom Jesus himself called to be one of his disciples. Did Jesus get it 11 out of 12 times? We don't know. Not only was Judas called along with the others to be a disciple, he was put in charge of the money. He was elected as the treasurer. Now, there are two qualifications for being the treasurer. One is you have to be good with numbers and money. The other is that you need to be good. You need to be honest. Did Jesus and the others completely misjudge Judas's character? We don't know. But let's spend a little bit of time in what I would call holy speculation. It is speculation because we have only enough material to ask these questions, but not necessarily come to any conclusions. But the questions themselves, you will see, can teach us something. Maybe Judas was the most passionate nationalist in that whole group. Do you have certain friends who are more passionate about their politics than other friends? Of course you do. Maybe you are one of those people. Who knows? It's okay. Maybe Judas was simply the most interested of all the disciples in getting rid of the Romans and, and elevating the nation of Israel back to its former glory. Maybe Judas saw in Jesus a potential leader, someone who could actually make it happen. Maybe Judas saw that, that Jesus had the charisma, the intelligence, the power, the ability, certainly the supernatural ability, to bring the people together to do something great for Israel. Maybe in Judas's mind he was going to be the campaign manager, to be the, the man behind the guy up front, and, and one day he would have Jesus run for the position of dog catcher. And then, if he did well, he would run for the city council. And then, if he did well, he would run for the state legislature. And then, if he did well, maybe he'd be the governor. And then, who knows, maybe one day, the president. That's not a bad thing. Maybe Judas found himself at odds with the other disciples because, as someone from Cariote, fairly close to Jerusalem, Maybe he had more political sophistication, more education in the ways of the world than the hicks 
from up around the Sea of Galilee, the fishermen. Maybe Judas completely misread Jesus and misread what the movement was all about. Maybe he got impatient. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he even got angry with Jesus because Jesus, who so obviously could lead the people, was not going to do what Judas wanted him to do. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. They had come into Jerusalem. There were crowds of people that were clearly in Jesus' corner. But now Jesus was stepping back from this role that might be laid out for him of being the king. And maybe all that Jesus needed was a little push, a little nudge to be put into that place where he would have no choice but to take over power, to gather the masses behind them and rally them to the cause. Maybe that's what Judas was trying to do. John simply says that Judas was greedy, that he was a thief, that he was a bad guy, that the, the devil entered into him. And certainly we have to say some of that is true. Who was Judas? What was he doing? 30 pieces of silver in Jesus' day was not really a whole lot of money. For most people, it would have been quite a bit, but if you had a lot of money and power, it wasn't much. 30 pieces of silver would buy one foreign adult male slave. To the average person, that was a lot of money, but to the chief priests, to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to the folks who had their hands in the national treasury, that was nothing. Judas sold out for very little money, so maybe he wasn't all that greedy. We don't know. We do have to ask, though, what did Judas actually betray when he betrayed Jesus? We know the story. It's nighttime. Jesus is with the disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come, and Judas walks up and gives Jesus a kiss. What did that mean? What did that do? What did that say? It could be that the soldiers did not know where Jesus was and maybe had no real way of finding out. And Judas was the guy who led them to Jesus. Not only did he lead them to Jesus, but he led them to Jesus when Jesus was at his most vulnerable moment. He was there only with the disciples. There were not crowds of people around with him. The cameras from CNN and ABC and Fox were not there to witness the situation. People didn't have their cell phones to record what was going on. And so Judas betrayed the place where Jesus was at a time when Jesus would be vulnerable. And it could be even that the soldiers did not know who Jesus was. There was no way to identify a person in that period of time unless you'd actually seen that person or known someone who did know the person. That could be what was going on in the betrayal right there. It's also possible. It's also possible that Judas became what we would call a state's witness. That he had gone to the priest and said, I actually heard Jesus say some blasphemous things. We have no record that Judas testified at the trial, but we do have no record that Judas did not testify at the trial. Again, we don't know exactly what happened. 
we can come up with lots of ideas, many different facets of a story that I think is more complex than we'll ever know. The story of the end of Judas is also complex. According to the story Matthew tells, Judas committed suicide. He hung himself. But the way Luke tells the story is that Judas took the money and bought a field with it. And when he was out in his field, he fell and cut himself wide open. And literally, his bowels gushed out and he died. In either way, Judas came to an ignominious end. So we can say all of those things with some degree of support from the texts, from our understanding of the scene and the situation. But in a way, that's all we can say about Judas. That's not all, though, that we can say about the lessons we can learn. Here's one lesson that I think we learn from Judas, that people we consider to be evil terrible, no good, rotten people are never completely evil or terrible or no good or rotten. Jesus chose Judas to be a disciple. The disciples trusted Judas with their money. Do you think that when Judas was born, his mom looked at him and said, you're evil, I don't love you? Of course not. There is no one in human history about whom we can say no one loved them. They had no redeeming characteristics or qualities. Read up and you'll find that everyone in history, regardless of whether or not we might judge them as some of the worst people in history, someone loved them, someone appreciated them, someone followed them. Here's another thing that I think we need to say. And that is that the evil that was in Judas was not readily observable or knowable. If you had met Judas for the first time and seen that he was evil, that he was going to do something terrible, you would have stayed away. But that's not what we do because evil doesn't look all that bad, actually. If you learned your theology from old black and white westerns on TV. You learned that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are good people and there are bad people. The good people wear what color of hat? And the bad people wear what color of hat? And when the good people show up, the music gets all light and happy and fun. And when the bad people show up, it gets all dark and dreary and dastardly. But that's not the way it is in real life. The philosopher Hannah Arendt, who escaped Nazi Germany and became a leading philosopher in the Jewish world, attended the trial in the early 1960s of Adolf Eichmann, one of the principal architects of the Holocaust. And after studying Eichmann's life and studying Eichmann himself, who if you look at his photographs looks like just any other normal guy, she concluded that evil is banal. Evil masquerades and looks just like the rest of us. 
In an earlier life, I worked in the district attorney's office in Albuquerque and worked with a lot of folks that were either already in prison or potentially headed that way. And one conversation I remember in particular was with a young man about twice my size who had a problem with alcohol. That was one of the reasons that he was in prison. But the bigger problem he had was that while in a bar one day, he stabbed and killed a couple of folks. And I had just been sitting with him in my office having a nice chat. We look at Judas and think, Judas must have had on a black hat. You must have been able to look into Judas' face and see the evil that was there, but, but no. Judas looked like everybody else. And so what does that say about the rest of us? Evil is there in us. Evil is there as an opportunity for us. Evil is always a possibility for us. In fact, evil is so slippery and sly that evil often masquerades as something good. Maybe Judas thought that he was doing a good thing by forcing Jesus' hand and creating a political situation where Jesus had to do something good for the nation of Israel. Maybe those missionaries that came to the southwestern part of the United States and into Canada thought they were doing something good when they took Native American children away from their families and tried to Christianize and westernize them and make them look like people from Western Europe instead of people like where they were actually from. Maybe Judas was a freedom fighter. Just like we celebrate freedom fighters who stand up against authoritarian, dictatorial rule. But maybe he got his battle a little bit wrong. Judas teaches us that we must always look for the evil that masquerades as good. That we must always look for the evil that is out there and the evil that is in here. The letter to the Hebrews counsels us to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Recognizing that sin is always an option for us. Therefore, we always pray as Jesus taught, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said that if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and then take care that you yourselves are not tempted. I'm not Judas's judge, but I can see in Judas a little bit of myself and so many others whom I know. One last word, and that is that we must never, never, never believe that evil, evil in someone else, evil in me, evil in the world, has the last word. Perhaps Judas did take his own life as a final sign of guilt and shame and hopelessness 
realizing maybe that what he had done led to the death of God. There were others, though, who denied Jesus, who forsook Jesus, who gave up on Jesus when the going got tough, and Jesus forgave them. Jesus restored them. Because evil is not the last word. The devil does not conquer us. That's why we come to this table. We come to this table believing, hoping, trusting that not even death can defeat us, not evil and evil can conquer us because our Savior defeated death and confronted evil and won. Ministering in his name, I invite you then to come to this table to take into you in a spiritually powerful way Jesus' body and blood that you might receive his forgiveness and offer of new life. Friends, let us join our hearts together in prayer. Most gracious and loving Father, as we come to your table, prepare our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit. Use these parts of your good creation that it may be the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that you would seal your promises in Christ through it, that you would nourish our hearts and souls by it, that you would unite us to you and to all of your people in every time and in every place as we look to that sure promise when we will dine at your eternal banquet with all of your people redeemed in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, we give to you that which we have received, that on the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus Christ, being with his friends, took bread, and after giving thanks to the Father, he broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the wafer for the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Let us partake together. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you for nourishing us, O oh God, in every way, both physical food and spiritual food. Empower us by your spirit to proclaim and to live out the love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Have you ever wondered whether you might meet Judas in heaven one day? I'll let God be the judge. Personally, I hope that I will. Because if I don't, I'm not sure that I'll be in heaven either. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you his peace today and always. Amen.